This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Great to have all of you here today. It's, it's, it is amazing. Yeah, yeah, you know, you realize New Church Live, we had our most highly attended June we've ever had. June is sort of like the desert of church season. So you folks are all going to heaven because you're here in June. Just so you know, we had our, our best June ever, which is really fun. And, uh, you know, real privilege to be able to talk to you today about, about servant leadership and, and what is that all about? And, you know, I start off by saying that with thinking that a lot of people are there going, yeah, you know, I want to lead. And other people are like, no, I don't. And, uh, you know, I think we're all leaders. In certain parts of our life, people look up to us. And, and our job is, is how do we lead there? So we've been looking at a five-part series. This is the way the series has gone so far. Part one is serving a bigger picture. We need to learn how to lead afraid while not being led by our fears. In serving a bigger picture, we need to know what we know. In serving a bigger picture, we need to work, say the W word, work, with. And last week, remember to show that. I talked about how some people view salvation as a begins with R, ends with Ope. Some people regard salvation as a rope that is kind of like this thing. It's just between them and God, sort of who cares about the rest of the world, which is why terrorism occurs, because people hold religion that way, that it's just between me and God, who cares what else happens. But the reality is there's a covenant, and that's a covenant with. New church, faith, and charity, hand in hand. Have to be, all the time. And the last one, in serving a bigger picture, we need... All right, now we're going to see how good you are at pronunciation. I'm going to teach you a little Greek word here. It's the K word, but you have to figure out how to say it. And don't just mumble it. We need keros. Keros, kairos, you say tomato, I say tomato. We're all, we're all good. Keros is what we're talking about. That A beautiful concept of time that I want to be talking to you folks about today. And, and that time... You know, like, you you combine all these things together, and we start to get a sense of servant leadership. And when we combine them, we start to understand this is really important. You know, important to understand with, and time, and leading afraid, patience, how all these things wrap together. Very important. And people who've done great things in their life, they know this. Here's a beautiful quote from Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks. He actually wrote this beautiful, Howard Schultz is Jewish, he wrote this beautiful beautiful article about the Pope in the New York Times. He said, this is the way to lead. And this was part of that article. It says, the values of servant leadership, putting others first and leading from the heart, need to emerge from every corner of American life. Beautiful idea. You know, here's a guy who knows what he's talking about. And he says, servant leadership needs to be something that just infuses our whole culture. And we need to be a place where that starts. New Church would say it this way. Greatness means wishing better for others than oneself and serving others for the sake of their own happiness with no thought of reward, simply out of simply out of love. It just that basic part I think is powerful. Now today, because we're in the summertime and attendance is down, I like to sort of get out in the audience a bit more. We're going to set up that last part. So if I'm going to serve out of love, I have to understand the need for patience. That things take time. And a real servant leader is able to just be in that place where they're able to serve over a long period of time. 
And what can get in our way, or what I should say gets in my way a lot of the time, is not patience, but the fact that I am highly impatient. How many of us wrestle with impatience here? Yes, I imagine we all do in certain situations. So what I want to do, folks, is I want to do this. We're going to have a little, like, dueling banjos here. The left side of the room, that's you folks over here. I want you to think, how would you answer this question? This is what I know about patience. The right side of the room, to my left, and we'll split it right down the middle, right here. People who I'm pointing right at, you can be patient and impatient at the same time. Uh, People over here, you're going to say, yeah, this is what I know about impatience. This is what I know about impatience. So what I want to do is I'm going to go over to this half of the room. I'm going to have three people say what they know about impatience. And over here, I'm going to have the patient folks tell us what they know about patience. So what I want to do is I want you to take just like 15 seconds, and you can chat with someone around you if you want. You can text in an answer to me if you're too shy to to actually say it on speaker while I grab the speaker. So again, what do you know over here about patience? What do you know over here about impatience? Please share. Are you guys arguing as to who's impatient and who's not over here? All right, so I, I, need, I need some folks, some brave folks over here who would like to raise their hand and tell me what they know about impatience. When you're impatient, is that on? Is that on? Who's going to get it? Ready? Go ahead. Uh, when you're impatient, you really probably don't know what the other person is trying to say or think. You're only sort of in yourself at that moment. Yeah. I don't know how that applies to marriage, but I imagine theoretically it somehow does. Impatience doesn't serve me. It creates anxiety. It just creates anxiety. Like crazy. How many, how many of the guys in here have a hard time waiting for the paint to dry before the second coat? <laughs> I know you're guilty. So, you know, I, I, I can't do it. Like, I can't do it. It's just too much. So, yeah, that's a great one. Who wants to share a third one here? We'll, we'll do a fourth one, then we'll come back up there. Go ahead. Impatience is, is painful. It's painful. It's painful. Impatience, so we avoid pain by thinking somehow impatience will be less painful. Go figure that one. Uh, I was just saying, I have trouble liking myself when I'm impatient. Ugh. I just can't, uh, and yet I do. And I'm mostly impatient with other people, that is so good. not necessarily... That's so good. So good. We, we break. Let's, let's do a quick survey here. And you have to be honest because it's all going to be on film. How many of us have broken something when we were impatient? Wow. You guys need this sermon like nobody's business. <laughs> yeah, we've got our youngest parishioner here raising his hand too. All right. Now, let's, let's reach for a little bit of hope. So... What do we know about patience? What do we know about patience? Whoever on this side wants to raise their hand. Patience will keep your blood pressure under control. (laughs) It will keep your blood pressure. It's really good. Theoretically. Being loving with the person that is making you impatient and just staying calm. You're stealing the end of the sermon. It's interesting, right? When we remove impatience, say the L word, when we remove impatience, we're left with love. 
For me, it's um, trust instead of control. And we're going to look at that. Trust instead of control, the faith word. Right? We start to see faith very differently. Give yourselves a round of applause, folks. That was excellent. So that was really good and great to hear your thoughts. And you can see, like, this is something that, that we wrestle with. And I'm going to go take a look online. I'm sure we have a lot of text messages coming in on the same thing. So the beautiful part is that the Bible consistently goes and tells us stories. Stories of how to wrestle with these things. Because these, these challenges are timeless. They're challenges that go back through large, large parts of, of, of world history, and they're things we struggle with again and again and again. So I'm going to talk to you about a Bible story today. This is back in the Old Testament. This is a story literally written probably about 4,000 years ago. And it's a story that's really about patience and what patience can be. And I'm going to focus on one narrow part. The story is very long, very broad. I want to sort of hone in on one part, sort of an expresso version of, of patience that we can start to look at. Now, this story deals with two people, Jacob and Rachel. And it's this old, old, old love story. So Rachel was, had her father's sheep. She brought them to a, to a well. The well was covered with a stone. And uh, so she couldn't, she couldn't lift it. She couldn't allow the sheep to drink. Along comes Jacob, who's like the hero of this story. And so he moves the stone, allows the sheep to be watered, and he falls in love. Like crazy love. Cupid hits, that's it. He's really, he's just, he's ready to settle down right there. He just is totally ready to give himself over to marriage. So he goes and he visits her father. And what her father says is her father says, look, you can work for my daughter's hand in marriage, but you need to work seven years. Could we say seven years together? Seven years. Folks, I want to say that again. Seven years. What's my point? That's a long time. Talk about needing patience. Talk about you need to let the paint dry. You know, seven years is a long, 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 long time to wait. I mean, a lot of us, when we feel in love, like, viva Las Vegas, let's get married. You know, and here's us going, no, no, you're going you're to have to work for this. Now, the story actually goes on. It actually takes them 14 years. We're not going to get into that bigger part of the story. I really want to focus on a beautiful, beautiful section from the book of Genesis where it talks about what those first seven years were. And again, he ends up waiting 14, but what those first seven years were. Take a look at this. Jacob was, let's say it together and say it like you're in love. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said to her father, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days. Notice that, folks. They seem like only a few days to him because of his love, because of his love for her. Beautiful stuff. So yes, we have this idea of patience, impatience. How does love kind of come into it? How does this all fit? New Church, we believe the Bible's written very poetically. In other words, like it's not a history book. 
It's really poetry that gives us this beautiful sense and rhythm of life. And we can, we can go underneath that, that literal sense and start to glean out like, oh, there's these beautiful pieces that it's really talking about. And I want to share two of those with you. Then we're going to have a song and then we're going to come back and talk about, well, how do we actually make this work in life? Well, here's a couple of answers, a couple of things we need to think about. When we are in, we are not in When we're in love, we're not in time. Wow, isn't that beautiful? How many of us had that experience at least once, right? It's incredible. You know, I do a lot of weddings for couples, and, and you know, and and I'll I'll hear these beautiful stories, and what oftentimes gets said is, you know, Chuck, we were were chatting, and all of a sudden, like, I, I just, it felt so good, it felt so natural, and I looked, and all of a sudden, it was 3 a.m., and we're still talking. How many of us had that experience, right? You know, just that, like, it just, it just flows. That's because of this. When we're in love, we're not in time. I mean, you imagine, I don't have any grandchildren yet, but I'm, but I can't wait to have them. Hint, hint, hint. And, and, you know, like, how long can you stare at a baby for when you're holding a baby? Forever. As long as it's not crying. We can stare for an incredibly long time. I mean, how many of us have just watched our, not to creep any of the kids out here. So I'm giving away secrets of your parents. How many of us have watched our kids sleep before? <laughs> yeah, great pictures, right? You know, and, 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 and those pictures where we just, and it's again, like love is just timeless. But then there's a flip of it here too, a really interesting flip on this next slide. When we are in love, we're not in time. But when we are, say those three words, but when we are, when we are impatient and bored, we are in time. That's a beautiful little piece of doctrine there. So isn't that interesting? So I can choose to be in time or not. Now, as the band comes out, as the band comes out, I want you to think about what does that really mean to kind of be in time or to be out of time? To be in a loving place where time kind of disappears or to be in the kind of place where impatience reigns and I'm breaking things. Breaking relationships, breaking stuff. I want to look at that. Because I think that there's a way we can put those together. And I think when you hear it, it's going to be something you're going to go, yep, that works. Because it does. A new way of looking at time. A new way of understanding time as Kairos. I wanted to share, you know, I, I love the answers people uh, send in, and I, I can't go over them all because I get so many, but they're just, you know, again, like, you folks know a lot, and you know a lot about this topic. Um, let's see. Uh, impatience is about love of dominion. I like that one. Uh, wait a minute, somebody said. Impatient people tend to wear cranky pants. Patience is understanding. Impatience ruins. Patience creates. It's tough. Impatience feels like forever. Patience is selfless. Impatience is a lack of knowledge. Patience is about trust. This answer comes to us from down south. A beautiful one. Driving while hungry versus driving while full. That's good. Vulnerable to show even results when uncomfortable. Leads to terrible choices. And this one I really enjoy. What do I know about patience? I know I lose it all the time. So, so welcome to being human, you know, right? Like that's, that's what we are. 
And, and, and so we wrestle back and forth between patience and impatience. And isn't it interesting, like, we even use that word, like, I lost my patience. Isn't that interesting? Like, I, I know I have it, but I just can't find the dang thing. <laughs> Honey, have you seen it? Uh, you know, that's kind of interesting, right? Like, like that idea that really our default is, I've never heard anybody say, oh man, I feel so bad, I lost my impatience. Um, we don't think that. Isn't that interesting? Maybe our language is teaching us something there. See, when we're impatient and bored, listen carefully to this, folks. When we're impatient and bored, the present moment is not enough. I take a note on that on your phone. When we are impatient and bored, the present moment is not enough. Now, I want to look at that, and I want to say, okay, so, so how do we then start to pull this apart? Because if we're going to be servant leaders, we need to understand patience really well, because God's going to give us things, and, and God's time is always very patient, very patient. Look at how he works with you, <laughs> you know? Look at how he works with me. I mean, thank goodness he's patient. And I want to talk about some words that can help us to maybe put some edges around that. Now, I'm going to be stepping over here and to, to take a look at these. So I want to share with you a couple of words that are really interesting. The words are chronos and keros. Chronos is a specific amount of time, like chronological time. That's where we get the root from. Keros is an appointed time for God's purpose. It's indeterminate. It's seasonal. It's pregnant time. It's a magic moment when time stands still, or we could also say it's a magic moment when time begins when time flies, when time just flies. So I, I want to talk a bit about like how this works and maybe different ways we can see that and really start to take a look at Kairos and how we can start to live there more and more. You, you know, my son works out in Lancaster and and I, I, I like, I see those Amish people and I, I know life is never as great as I imagine it, but I just think I would love to live those rhythms. You know, I'd love to not have an alarm clock. I'd love to wear one of those hats. Like, I, I would love it. I'd love it. Like the whole idea, like a buggy, you're not going anywhere fast. That would be actually okay with me a lot of days. I, when my wife, uh, she took me away for a surprise anniversary trip on our 25th anniversary. This was four years ago. And uh, it, was, it was a hotel there in, in Lancaster. And the big event at this hotel was they put chairs right out by the road so you could watch the buggies go by. Sign me up. Sign me up. Forget Torney Park. Someone please take my kids, but I'll go and do that. Like, I love that. I love that. So what I want you to think about here, so, so we, we have, and this, I realize, I'm going to preach this, and I realize a lot of you are going to lean over, and you're going to go, we need our teenagers to hear this. So, uh, and I want to say it's something I think we all need to hear, actually. So, so we have this thought, right? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three cue cards, and we're going to run through them once real quick, and then we're going to put them into a narrative. The first word, please say it loud. Second word. Third word. All right, so let's take a look at this. So, so oftentimes we, we think like, I'm existing, doing whatever, and man, I am just so, say it for me, I am just so, I'm so bored. So bored. I'm so bored. 
And this especially happens on family vacation, right? And how many of us, you're just ready to wring your kid's neck when they say it's a family vacation. You can say it, it's true. And, you know, like, when a kid says, we're like, oh my goodness, we do the same thing. We do the same. We're adults, we do the same thing. We just don't call it the same thing. So when we're bored, we have this thought, and they think, and we know that this thought, and again, I want to be clear, it's a thought. It's a thought. You are not actually bored. It's, it's, it's interesting how we identify emotions like they're, they're, they're our name. You know, I am Chuck. I am bored. No, I'm feeling bored. Big difference there. So here's this thought. I have a thought in my head that, that comes in. The thought zips in and says, I'm bored, or this is boring. What we naturally do as human beings, we don't go to the deepest parts of our soul. What we do is we go to the surface parts of our soul and we think, okay, so if I'm bored, I better find some way to get distracted. All guilty say I? Yeah. We do it all the time. I was, I was at a wedding last week, and this is going to make me sound so, like such an old fuddy-duddy. And some of you are going, yes, Chuck, you should be Amish. And uh, you know, I'm at a wedding, and I'm having this great conversation with someone. It was the guy I told you about a couple of weeks ago, the Italian guy, who after we had this great conversation, he picks up my head, and he kisses me on top of my head, and then puts my head back. And, and, and then I'm looking over at the table of 20-somethings, you know, right beside us. Every, this is going to sound so old fuddy-duddy, so my apologies. Every single one of them was on their was on their phone. No conversation. Every one of them. Now, now see, I think that's the trap, right? We're bored. Present moment is not enough. So what we do is then we think, well, I know the way to not be bored is to just be distracted. But how fulfilling is it to be on your phone? When was the last time you were on your phone and you're like, oh, I feel so full now, honey. My life has just been enriched. I mean, there's occasionally like good videos, <laughs> granted, or, or pictures that are very sweet that can sort of stir us, but 95% of it's about stuff that I don't even necessarily want to read about. It doesn't necessarily keep me from being bored. It just, It just distracts me. It doesn't work. Like, parents, how many times have we done this with candy with our kids? We're like, you're just like, please just give me two minutes of silence. Here, let me give you $15. Go get all the cotton candy. Don't tell your mom. Right? We, we just want to distract. We just want to distract. Where we need to get there, folks, is we need to get there. We need to get to the point where we get rid of the boredom thought and we get that the moment is enough. I want to say that again. This is a thought. This thought tends to cover up the way life is right now. It covers it up. And then we add in, just for good measure, we add in a second layer of paint. So I cover it up. I cover it up with being that thought that I'm bored. will cover up the moment as it is. The distraction will cover up the moment as it is. Like if I'm on my phone, I'm not talking to you. And what we need to do is we need to strip it down to the point where we get that it is enough, that the moment is enough. Then what we're able to do is then we're able to free ourselves. I'm able to free myself. I'm able to free myself. See, 
Kronos and Keros steer like this. This is Kronos. It's one little box with, with little dials on it. But how many of us have our lives run by those little dials? This is Kronos. Listen carefully. Everything else is Keros. Everything else. And what do we focus on, folks? Kronos. What God is constantly saying, like, no, I want you to be free. How about you focus on Keros? How about we start to pull it out so you can see all these kinds of under, wonderful things? And then I get to get that, that if, if I do that, I get to understand that I am actually the only person interrupting the moment. God's not interrupting the moment. I'm interrupting the moment. And those moments are there all the time. When God made that time, Keros, he made an abundance of it. There's always enough time there. We don't have to go searching for patience because it is patient. It's loving time. It's wise time. It's time that can make immense differences in our lives. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Does that make sense? And, and, and I, th- I think, folks, that we can, we can really start to, to think about that and, and, and start to experience it just in small ways. Like, like I had one um, last week. Do we have any fans of rain in this? I love summer rain. Anybody else a big fan of summer rain out there? I love summer rain. And, and I'm walking our dog. And usually the, what happens when I walk our dog is my wife usually goes, honey, please walk the dog. She says it very nicely. We have two dogs. One's really nice. One, I hope, runs away. And, and so we have, we have two dogs, so I'm walking the dogs. Now, my first reaction as I open the door to walk the dogs is I don't have time, <laughs> number one. And number two, it's resentment. How can she ask me to walk the dogs? I mean, look at how busy I am. And then eventually I get over that, and then I start my little loop. And on my loop, I recite my problems for the day. And then as I'm making the bend and I'm coming back, this was, it was a different kind of weather, and, and all of a sudden, you know, it just started, the rain just started to fall. Like here I am and all the chronos, all the noise, focused on time, focused on all the problems, focused on this, focused on that. And I'm underneath these trees, and, and the rain is just very gently, very gently hitting the leaves. And it just stopped. The dogs just stopped. And guess what? That moment was enough. That moment was enough. I think that's where God, I'm going to go back over here, I think that's so much where God is trying to get us. I think that's so much the story of Jacob and Rachel where love starts to shift us and change us and to make a difference in terms of how things are going. And then what we see starts to happen there, folks, is we see this. We see time melt. Now, I'd urge you, you know, today, I I would urge you to, to have that conversation like, Where have you seen, where have you witnessed time melt? You know, it's a great conversation to have going back home or have it online, you know, with somebody you're sitting watching with. Like, when did you really feel that time just melt away? See, that's Kairos. That's, that's why, that's why heaven, folks, like, is outside of space and time. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. It's a beautiful idea that once we start to get 
once you start to pull those away, space and time, we actually get to experience heaven. Even, even in this life, maybe only fleeting moments, but we still get to experience it. That's pretty cool. So we can allow ourselves to hold time gently like that, just like Jacob did seven years, but he did it out of love, and he's just, it's all okay. We can start to see servant leadership a little bit differently. Now, one of my favorite, and probably a lot of you don't know this, probably a few of you do, one of the, my favorite psalms is the 23rd psalm. It starts with these five words. Does somebody want to shout it out who knows the 23rd psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's how it starts. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. My cup, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The 23rd Psalm. Now, it's beautiful because like we, we, we blast through that, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Like, how fast can we say that? But, but notice what this has to do with leadership. And you can see it just sort of, this sort of is just kind of marinated in Kairos. The Lord is my shepherd. What that means, I love the way this one author put it. It's where we're holding leadership as armed with foresight, calmness, attentiveness, and care. Foresight, like we're able to look ahead. We're calm. We're an unanxious presence. We're attentive to what's going on around us. And we bring a lot of care. With the shepherd, there's no great going out. There's no great conquering. It's far more about, I'm going to have you say those last two words really loud. A far more simple, a far more simple being with. And then that starts to shift, actually, how we start to see faith. Because we place ourselves in this time, new church we call it the divine providence, the, the stream of providence, we place ourselves there, and, and things start to shift. And then this starts to happen to our faith. I love this beautiful line about how our faith starts to change. Faith does not need to push the river because, excuse me, faith does not need to push the river precisely because it is able to trust there's a river. I take a picture of that one. We get to the point where we don't need to push the river anymore because we know that there's a river. We know there's a plan. We know that there's something. It doesn't mean life isn't heartbreaking at times. It doesn't mean that there aren't huge challenges ahead. But it means simply that we get that there is a river. And we can have faith in that. Now what starts to happen there too, folks, is we see it start to shift our view of church. Church becomes this. These are my words here. Church is not a thing to be consumed or a product to be mobilized. It's really big for me. I I think a lot of the time it can become so enticing to think, well, how can we make church this product that people can come in and consume more and more and more? That's very much looking at Kronos. And instead of church being enough, we're trying to make, see if this makes sense, we're trying to make church a distraction. I don't want it to be a distraction. Please say the E word. I want church to be enough. Enough. 
great experience, should leave people inspired, and should always leave you feeling enough. Enough. Church is a patient, grand gathering. Those were the words that I'd like, yeah, that's what I really want to, you know, sometimes you say the thing that you really want to say, that's what I really want to say. Church is a patient, grand gathering around God and with our souls, with our souls. God present. Goes back to covenant of last week. Of those searching to both reach, reaching out to other people in various ways, and do life together. And how do we do this? It's all done, say it loud, all done simply out of love. It's all done just simply out of love. No agenda. It's all just done simply out of love. That that, that patient, grand gathering. I mean, again, we're in the midst of something saying, yeah, you know what, this is worth financially supporting. And I don't want to say that this is worth financially supporting and throw that into Kronos. No, I want you to financially support it out of Kairos. Out of a broader sense of mission. Not just because we need to meet our budget. I want you to have a sense of it. And I know you do. That, that, that sense of, of what can start to happen, those sense of connections. Connections, folks, that look like this. I knew exactly two people in that picture five years ago. And there are a bunch of people who, who had already left that small group meeting. Uh, this was a small group meeting that was over at Mary Haney's house. You see, folks, that's the patient grand gathering. Did, did, we solve, did we solve the British economic crisis at that meeting? Yes or no? No. Did we solve any world problems at that meeting? No. But was that meeting Kairos? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's Kairos. That's this patient time, this beautiful time, this onward looking that can just continue to echo out there into the world. And we can all choose to be parts of those things. That is this congregation. And, and I think that, that the more we can live in spaces like that, it, it just, it helps us to serve the world better and better and better. Because we're able to go at it and we're just an unanxious presence. Simply doing what we can do. I mean, folks, just, just, just trace it out. Imagine Kairos. Imagine living in Kairos just in your own head. How much more gentle would you be with yourself? It's a season. God's time, not yours. How much more gentle would you be with the ones you love? How much more gentle would you be with your community, including the guy who cut you off on the way here? How much more gentle, how much more gentle would you be with God? If you just live in Kairos. This is powerful stuff. I think these are the kinds of things where, where churches can, can make such a big difference. Churches, synagogues, mosques, temples, uh, nonprofits, the, the whole kin and caboodle. You know, this is a call that we can live into more and more and more. And I love the way that Reinhold Niebuhr, I love the way that Reinhold Niebuhr captured it. This is such a beautiful, beautiful prayer. 
Actually, you know what I want to do, folks? Because we're big on participation today, I want you to read this prayer. So I'm going to need, I think, four volunteers who are going to raise their hand. I'm going to have you read different sections of it. All right, let me grab the microphone here. And this, and this is what we're going to close with. So who would like to read first? I love this first line. Nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Thank you. Isn't that a beautiful line? You know, and again, like I keep coming back to it. I know we have some first-time people here. Hope in the Christian context is not objective. Hope is love stretching into the future. Hope is love stretching into the future. Another hand. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Must be saved by faith. And the new church definition of faith that I love, that I just think should, we should all get tattoos for this one, is, is faith is the eye of love. Faith is the eye of love. When we do that, things that don't make sense immediately, maybe in a larger sense we start to get the context. What's another one out there? Who else would like to read? Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. Beautiful. So I want to give you a quote, and I'm going to have Chris read the last one. This, this is real important, folks. Please listen carefully to this. Gandhi had these beautiful words. Gandhi said this. Listen carefully. And I've said this before, but I want to repeat it. We are to plant trees under which we will never sit. We are to plant trees under which we will never sit. Does that give anybody chills? (laughs) That's like silly good. No virtuous act is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend or foe as it is from our standpoint. (laughs) Therefore, we must be saved by the final form of love, which is forgiveness. Isn't that beautiful? That's gorgeous stuff. Give everybody a round of applause there, folks. That was great. So just so you know, one of these days I will be running down here and I'm going to trip on those stairs and I want applause when I do it, just so, just so you know. Folks, can you see patience in this? Yes or no? Can you see Keros in this? Yeah. You, you can see in these words of Reinhold Niebuhr just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. You see Jacob and Rachel, you see what we're talking about here. It's, it's a very counterintuitive way to look at the world. It's, it's where we can reimagine. I, I, love the, I love the idea that Christianity is really about a reimagined future. And it is. It takes a reimagining. We, we have to sort of break our addiction over there. We have to break our addiction to Kronos. We have to break our addiction to distraction. And instead be able to rest in that it's enough. But understand this, not but, and understand this. I'm thinking about last week's sermon. And understand this. When we start to rest in that place, 
it actually allows a certain power and strength and courage to rise to the surface. It's not where we just check out. But ready for this? It's where we check in. Because we're not distracted. We're present. We're engaged. We're putting our shoulder to the wheel in ways most of the time very small. For some of us, we'll be in large ways. And we're doing our best. That's what servant leadership thrives on. So, to close today's service, I'm going to now offer a prayer. I'm going to say a prayer, then you have the opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to have a moment of quiet reflection or a moment of quiet prayer, and then we'll have our final song. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, allow our hearts... Allow our hearts to understand patience in new ways. To find patience, Lord, to find the patience that you already have given us in our souls that is already present. Souls that live in keros. Brains and worries that live in chronos. Allow us, Lord, to live heaven now. Allow us to raise our voices up in praise and courage now. Allow us to live simply saying, enough, enough, it's enough now. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Bless, bless this amazing congregation. Be with them. Stir their hearts. Allow them, Lord, to find ways forward, to find you, to find home. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.